Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Our scripture reading for today is Psalm 22 in its entirety. So buckle up. Here we go. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display, people stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, guys. My name... Oh, that was nice. Uh, my name is Babs. If you don't know me, I'm on staff here at The Vine, and it's been really fun to be a part of this community. Uh, we've been going through a series on the book of Psalms. Mark kicked us off last week in Psalm 1, and he did a great job, I feel like, of setting up the reality that we have to encounter different genres of Scripture differently. We have to approach them with a little bit of a different lens. And he shared this image last week that I want to show us again because I loved it. This is by Scott the Painter, and this, when he shared this, it really resonated with me because 
This picture, you've got kind of this boat and then this heart deep inside, and that's sort of what the Psalms do for us. They pull out these feelings that we have. St. Athanasius says that scripture speaks to us, but Psalms speak for us. And I love that. I think when I approach the Bible, a lot of times it's for God to speak to me, right? I want to learn something. I want him to tell me something. But when we approach the Psalms, they're, they're speaking for us. They're finding this thing deep inside of us, these feelings that we have that we might have ignored or trying to be trying to run away from, and it pulls them out of us, okay? And, and I know, like, feelings are hard. It's hard to be a human with feelings. Um, and I know, it's, for me, I was thinking about it this week. It's like I get so busy, I think I just don't notice feelings, and so the Psalms help me to kind of sit down and think and give the Scripture a minute to pull them out of me. But sometimes also I have feelings that just feel confusing, like they're not in line with the narratives I believe about God or what I think is true about the world and how it should work, and I don't know what to do with those feelings. And the Psalms, they're like these prayers that model for us what it looks like to, to excavate, to find those feelings in our heart, to wrap words around them, to notice what they feel like in our bodies, and to know how to bring them into the presence of God in prayer, to know that we can bring these complicated emotions that we have into God's presence. So we're going to be in Psalm 22 today. It's kind of a confusing psalm. And I figured as we go through it, here's what we're going to do. We're going to kind of do a Build-A-Bear, but with a prayer. So in your little handout, you have a, a couple of key components that are in this prayer in Psalm 22. And as we go through, we're going to identify those different components, and you're going to put them together. And when you go home today, you'll have a little prayer to take with you, like a Build-A-Prayer. Build-A-Bear, Build-A-Prayer. See what I did there? Um, and so you'll be able to take that into your week and practice bringing these feelings into the presence of God. Um, Build-A-Bear, I, I actually don't have a lot of experience with Build-A-Bear personally, but I do notice there's like a long line at the Build-A-Bear store, and that is confusing <laughs> to me. Um, and I also think the name is misleading, because if you throw up the Build-A-Bear slide, when I went to the Build-A-Bear website, this is what you could pick from. First of all, it's confusing to me because, guys, does anyone want a possum stuffed animal? Like, is that a thing? But second of all, I noticed when I went there that these are not bears. Like, I get that the name is catchy, but I would think a Build-A-Bear would be like, build a bear. <laughs> like, but it's really build a stuffed animal. It's the first thing you have to do at Build-A-Bear is you have to pick the shape of the animal that you want to build, that you want to stuff. And we're going to do the same thing with our prayer. Before we just start stuffing content into this prayer that we're going to build, we want to figure out what kind of prayer it is that we're building, because there's a lot of different kinds of prayers. And in the book of Psalms, there's many different kinds of prayers. Um, Walter Brueggemann kind of defines them in three different ways. I love the way he categorizes the Psalms. He says we have Psalms of orientation, Psalms of disorientation, and then Psalms of reorientation. So Psalms of Orientation, it's like those prayers, those songs that you sing to God in the moments when your experience as a human is totally in line with what you believe to be true about God and how he says he's going to show up in the world. They're just in line, just clicks. Psalm 1 that we went through last week is kind of one of these Psalms of Orientation. We can, we can see that this sense of justice is happening in the world, that God says that he will punish the wicked, and there's that feeling of it that the psalmist is experiencing and then we have psalms of disorientation. And those are the psalms, like, if you ever sat funny and just had your back, like, right out of alignment. <laughs> That's what these psalms, these prayers are for. They're the moments when it just gets so out of alignment. And your experience as a human, what you're living in, feels so different than what God says is true about him and the kind of kingdom he wants to build. It's disorienting. It's out of alignment. 
And then there's these psalms, these prayers of reorientation, which are like, you know, when you hear the psalmist talk about, you've turned my mourning into dancing. I was once here, everything went, went, went wrong, I was in the pit, I was in despair, but you, you were with me the whole time. I see that now. It's this reorientation. Things are back in alignment. I can look back and see, God, you were with me the whole time, and I can feel that my experience is once again in line with what you say is true about you. So today, when we go to our Build a Prayer, Build a Bear <laughs> store, we're going to build a prayer of disorientation. Psalm 22 has a lot of different ingredients. It's kind of a muddled prayer, but ultimately, we're going to put it in our disorientation category. And so what, we're gonna, what you're going to leave here with today is a prayer that you can use in those moments, in those situations when things are out of alignment, when things happen, when life happens, when the news cycle hits and everything suddenly feels very confusing and it doesn't feel like God is who he says he is, right? And you can take it home. You can write it. You're going to write your own version of it, sub your words in. You can put it in your toolbox for those moments when disorientation comes. But I would encourage you, before you put it away for those moments, this week to find some time and sit with your prayer of disorientation. Because I wonder for some of us if there aren't places within us where we are experiencing this, like where there is a part of our soul that feels a little bit fractured, that feels a little bit broken, where things have happened to us in the past that we haven't fully processed, or we just have these feelings that we have buried so far down deep that they need a little excavating. And maybe if we sit with this prayer of disorientation, we'll notice that there are some places out of alignment that we're just, we just don't want to see. And even if that's not the case, even if you sit with the prayer and you don't feel that, I promise you, if you put your arms out to the right or left in a room like this or in our fair city of Austin, you're going to find pockets in this world where things are broken for people, where they are experiencing extreme disorientation, where the world they're living in feels very different from what God says his kingdom looks like, okay? So that's the kind of prayer we're building. We've got to put... We've picked out our stuffed animal. We've got to stuff some stuff inside of it, okay? And the two kinds of stuffing that we find in this prayer that David puts inside his prayer, he puts in, first of all, some stuffing about what it feels like to be a human, what the experience is like, the sensations of being a human in the broken areas, okay? So he climbs inside what it feels like in the parts of his life that are totally broken, and he describes that, he sings that, he laments that to God. I'm going to throw the verses 12 through 18 up here. I'm not going to read them all because we just read them. But take a look at them. I hope it's big enough that you can see. But you can kind of see this description he's got going on here. He's got, we've got some roaring lions, probably not literal ones. He's poured out like water. Again, probably not literally. His heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. Have you ever had that feeling? Have you ever got that phone call and you can really feel your heart just melt, like the whole reality you live in has just dropped out from underneath you. When we, when we look at this, we have to notice the feelings that David's feeling, and I, and I want us to imitate him when we put this stuffing into our prayer, when we climb inside this thing. The first thing is, in order to put that stuffing in, I want us to feel those feelings. Like, you're not just going to identify a part of you or a part of the world that feels broken. You're going to feel what that feels like. You're going to feel it in your body. I love that David is describing these sensations that are physical, right? His mouth is so dry. His tongue is so dry. It's like clay pottery. I want you to climb inside. When you do this with God this week, I want you to climb inside that place, that feeling that might be broken, and excavate it by thinking about what does it feel like in my body. And when you describe it, 
Don't be afraid to go big. Don't be afraid to use poetic language. We want to look at what David's saying here, and it feels like he's being dramatic, or maybe he's exaggerating. But I actually think, having felt feelings like this, I don't think he's being dramatic at all. I don't think he's exaggerating at all. I think when you're in those moments where, like, the bottom drops out, there are not words to describe how bad that feels, right? What it feels like in your body. And so don't be afraid to go big, to describe those sensations, to wrap words around them that make sense of them. And and notice that he's not telling us what is happening here. He doesn't describe for us the situation he's in. He's telling us how it feels, what the experience is like, right? And this is a very important part because when we start to climb into these feelings, you're going to have these little caveats that are like, you know, that's not actually happening. This wasn't actually the situation. There There were a lot of good things going on at the same time. But we want to climb so far deep inside these feelings that we are describing just our experience. We're not getting hung up on the facts, on the data of what happened. And I, my background is in psychology and mental health, so I love it when I read something in the Bible that like, makes sense, aligns totally with what I believe about how the brain works. And when you, get, when you get trained on how to do traumatic grief counseling, like when someone's had a traumatic loss, one of the things that you have to do is you spend like six weeks with this person, and the first four weeks, all you're trying to do is get them to tell you what it felt like. Like tap into the inner toddler of the experience of this moment. And it's really hard for people to do that. They want to add these caveats. They want to add like, well, I felt totally alone, but I wasn't really alone. My friend was there, and I want to make sure you know that. We're not dealing with what happened. We have to get to what your, your inner child felt, what the experience was like. And we have to do that for weeks and weeks and weeks and excavate all these feelings before we can even start the process of reframing, of reorientation. So I love this. This is what you're going to do. You're going to sit in these feelings. You're going to let the, the Bible kind of pull them out of you. You're going to wrap words around them, not, not be afraid to go big, and you're going to just describe what it felt like, not what happened, okay? So that's one kind of stuffing that we're going to put in here. But we need another because we need our, we need our prayer to be a little more disorienting. So we're going to add a totally different kind of stuffing. David adds into his psalm also this stuffing of just thanksgiving and praise, right? Halfway through when Melena was reading it, it's like there was a, a, a switch that flipped. And we just get into a totally different kind of prayer. So you can throw up those verses. I know it's hard to read, so I'll just kind of highlight a couple of things I love about it. In 23, you see him say, like, we're going to praise him. And then 24, he explains why. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. And then he goes on to say, he has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. These are past tense statements, right? David is climbing into the experience of what he knows God has done, what he's seen God do. Again, it's just like over here. We didn't want just the facts. Over here in in the part of our stuffing that's going to be worship, that's going to be praise, we don't want the facts. We want the feeling. We want what it feels like when God comes through for you, those moments where you've seen him show up, or he has done this, right? I set myself the challenge of practicing, build build a prayer, build a bear, build a psalm, whatever, practicing that this week, and it was really interesting to me, like, how I started this part of writing my praise part with, you know, I know this is true about God, I love this about God, I love God. and as I got going, if I stopped and, like, sat, sat back for a second and thought about what I've experienced, what it feels like when God shows up for you in the craziest, most surprising way, 
the attributes about him that you love personally the most? Like for me, I love the kindness of God. I have a friend who's always making fun of me because I'm always like, oh, God's so kind. And my friend's like, God's a lot of things, not just kind. But for me, I notice that kindness. It's like when everything's falling around, I, falling down around me, I notice the way God is like kind in the details. It's just gentle in the details. And so as I was writing my psalm, I sat in that, that specific feeling. I wrote that about him. God, I love that you were so kind. Like that one time, you've, you did not leave me in that moment alone, but you showed up in the tiniest details. And I sat in that long enough until I could feel it. Right? We want to feel that feeling. So you're going to put those two stuffing things into your prayers. You've got the experience, the feeling of what it feels like in the brokenness, and you've got the experience, the feeling of what it feels like that God is who he says he is, that it's true about him, what is true about him and how that feels. Okay, and now we've got to stitch those two things together. I can just like, the real visual of the person at the Build-A-Bear workshop being like, those, they can't, we can't stitch those things together. But David is going to, he's going to stitch them together and he's not going to do that by, by making them more similar. He's not going to do that by diminishing one or the other or trying to bring them closer together. He's going to stitch them by emphasizing how contradictory these two things are, by acknowledging the gap. Right, that's what we see at the beginning of this psalm, verse 3, 2, and 3, and on from there. And I highlighted the key words for you here. Got David living in this experience, I'm crying out to you all day long, and I, I'm not getting a response yet. I know, I'm banking also on this. I believe this too, I've experienced this too. You are in the throned one of Israel. I know who you are. But I am also experiencing this, just FYI, this is also happening. Yet, I know this also, that you did this also. And it's this like stitching back and forth and the yet and the but and words like that, what they do is they emphasize how contradictory these two things are. But he's elevating both of them. He's holding on to both of them. He's not letting one of them go. And I think when we go to stitch together our thanksgiving, our worship, and our lament, we're gonna find that we are tempted to diminish one in order to hold on to the other. That some of us wanna really hold on to the truth about God and somehow in the process of doing that, when we stitch them together, we, we start to diminish our experience. We start to say that wasn't real or that, or that wasn't valid, right? And so maybe we have the, the, the yet or the but in our prayer, but we just have one, and we don't do it to highlight the contradiction. We do it to diminish one. So we say things like, gosh, Lord, this is impossible. I'm, I'm drowning in all of this stuff that's happening, but I know that you're God and I'm gonna trust you. And that sounds so good, but sometimes when we say it, what we mean is, I'm gonna trust you to, to make sure that reality isn't true, to ignore that reality, to pretend it doesn't exist. I'm gonna trust you, meaning I'll put on blinders and pretend that won't happen to me, what I saw happen on the news. It's not gonna happen to me. Sometimes that's what we mean when we say, but I'll trust God. And when we go back and forth with the but and the yet, it helps us emphasize both these realities have to be held onto. And there are others of us, I'm in this camp, I live in this, what I would call, I almost just did it. I, was, I live in reality, that's what I was going to say. Uh, I live in reality, and what I mean is this isn't real. When I say that, that's what I mean. I mean, I live in the world that's broken, and I see people suffering, and I see horrible, hard things happening, and sure, sure, God is who he says he is. I'll tell you that on Sunday. I'll teach a sermon on it. But at the end of the day, if you look at my prayer life, when terrible things happening, the first thing I'm doing is not getting on my knees because I'm not really sure. I've diminished somehow that God actually cares 
or that he actually listens or that he's actually involved or that he's actually active in anything happening down here. I have held on to this at the expense of this. I've diminished this a little bit. And David, when he stitches these things together, he is inviting us to see that they're both real. It's real that this is what it feels like. And it's real that God is who he says he is and we have to hold on to both of those things. So when you stitch them together, once we get our our build a prayer stitched together, we're gonna have, it's not gonna look good. <laughs> My metaphor breaks down a little bit, but go with me. It's not gonna look good, and we can't take that bear anywhere because it's got these huge gaps, so we have to put clothes on it to cover it up. And that's what we're gonna do next in our prayer. We're gonna ask God, we're gonna look at this giant gap between what God says is true and what we feel that's just gotten bigger with our stitches, right? We've emphasized how far this gap is, and we're gonna petition God to close the gap. Lord, you say you're the protector of innocent, and this is what's going on. We need you to act. We need you to close the gap. We need you to show up in this space in the same way that you say you are over here. We need you to bridge that gap. We petition God to close the gap, right? David does this. We see this in the prayer. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me, deliver me, rescue me, save me. He's petitioning God to bridge that gap. You say you're a healer, you say you hear my prayers, you say you care about who I am and what I'm doing, then heal. Then show up in this broken place the way that you say you are. We want to petition God to close the gap. And we're almost done. We have one more ingredient that has to go in our prayer. Because if you've ever done this, if you've ever petitioned God, like really done it, like with all your heart, like the kind of petition that you've already gone so far deep, you've ex excavated this whole feeling, and you've excavated this whole feeling so you know fully how broken the situation is, and you know fully how amazing God is, and you petition him to close the gap. If you've ever done that, then you know the worst part is what happens next if he doesn't close it. If you're standing there in this gap, and you're begging God, the God you know, your God, to act, and you have to live in this horrible in-between where sometimes, sometimes it's like an instant, the gap is closed and you see God show up and you're back in reorientation psalm. Things are back in alignment. But sometimes you have to stand in that gap and you have to hold that tension. You have to believe both of these things and you've petitioned God and now you have to deal with what you do when he doesn't act right away. Right, and that's the last ingredient we need in our prayer. Uh, Build-A-Bear, the last thing you do, this is so weird to me, I guess, is you give your bear a name and then you make it a birth certificate. It's problems. Those Build-A-Bear people, they've got some problems. But I liked that when I was thinking through this because we've talked about Psalm 22, but if I, like, you know, did an interview on a seminary campus and I said, what do you know about Psalm 22? I promise you most people would say, I know the first verse, which we haven't even talked about yet. The verse that says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's kind of the foundation, that's the heartbeat of this prayer. And it's this last ingredient that we need. It's the meaning, it's the name of Psalm 22. It's this protest. It's David feeling another feeling, excavating one more feeling, the feeling of this gap. And taking that feeling to God in protest. Okay, so in order to add that into our build a prayer, we're gonna have to feel this feeling. We felt this feeling, it feels terrible. The brokenness feels sad and broken, bad. We felt this feeling, it feels good. Worship God, we like it, we're here for it. But now we have to feel this feeling. 
the confusion and the disorientation that comes when God doesn't bridge the gap, when he doesn't close the gap. And I don't know what it feels like for you. I think it feels different for everybody. I think for some people it just makes you feel crazy or ashamed, like you're doing something wrong, or like maybe God doesn't hear you, maybe God isn't active in the world. Like it can feel like a lot of different things. I have a friend who, um, she says this gap for her feels like God doesn't love her. So we were having a conversation one time and she was describing the gap and the experience of like going to God in prayer and just being like, do you even love me? Do you even care about me specifically? I know you love everybody else, but do you even love me? And she looked at me and she said, Babs, do you ever even feel that? In all our years of friendship, I have never once heard you say, does God even love me? And I was like, you know what? I have never once said that. And I have never once felt that. And it's not because I'm crazy godly. It's because this gap feels different for me. I'm a youngest child. I don't think love is my go-to thing that I doubt. (laughs) In this gap, for me, it feels like God isn't real. That's what it feels like for me. It feels like that panic, that like bottom dropping out of like, am I just making this whole thing up? This is ridiculous. What am I doing? Um, Almost, I think it is probably 11 years ago today to the day, I was in France. Uh, My mother lives in France, and we had all gone to France for the summer, my sisters and I, because my dad had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and was dying. And so we all went to France, and we did this sort of like living wake experience where he invited people from his whole life, all walks of life, to come, and they'd come for the day, and, you know, you'd hear their car drive up the gravel driveway, and they'd sit with my dad, and the morning it was always like people like happy to reconnect. Oh, look how much you've changed. What's been going on with you? Around lunch, the conversation would turn to cancer. And man, the diagnosis, the prognosis, how are you, how are you coping? How are you feeling about that? And then you know, dinner and late into the night, the drinks would start flowing, and it was like awake. People telling stories and singing songs, except my dad was there. Um, and it sounds beautiful, and it probably was the first one or two times, but it was like Groundhog Day for me and my sisters. We woke up every morning to the sound of that gravel driving down the driveway and listening to the reconnection and then the cancer and then the goodbyes. It was horrific. And the only thing that was kind of keeping me going in this, like, reliving this daily trauma was these text messages I would get from my friends back in America being like, oh, we are praying for you and here's what's true and here's some verses and how is this and here's what's going on with us. And it felt like this lifeline to, like, there is life outside of this bubble that I'm living in. And halfway through the trip, I stopped getting text messages. And, you know, we reached out to my company at the time. I was like, guys, I really need to be getting these text messages. It's really important. And they were like, great, we're on it. They call the phone company. Everyone does all the work. And everyone's like, everything's great with your phone plan. You should absolutely be getting text messages. And I still wasn't getting text messages. And I remember I would, I, every day I would go for the same run I would stand up on this field and look over these fields of France and try to pray. And in, in this day, after not getting the text messages for two or three days, I was like, something in my soul was stretched so tight, it felt like it was about to snap. And I remember uh, this feeling of this gap where it's like, I felt the brokenness of the cancer and the loss and the goodbye. But I knew what was true about God. And somehow I'd lived in that but trust land but now I'm having this experience inside of this other experience of feeling totally alone, unnecessarily alone. 
And I know that God is kind. It's my favorite thing about him, that even in the hard times, he gives you sweet little details to keep you going. And like, this does not make sense to me. I am not asking for a miracle. I'm asking for a text message. And if you are, in fact, on your throne and in control and working all these things out for good, and if you are, in fact, kind and listening to me, why can't you give me one text message? In the middle of that field in France, I remember saying, like, are you even real? Like, what are we even doing? Are you even real? Are you at all who you say you are? And I remember coming back from that trip and kind of telling my friends about this experience and feeling a little shame, like... I wish I'd trusted God better in that. I wish I had believed in him more, you know. Um, and looking back now, I feel like I can hear, when I look at that younger Fabs, I can hear the, like, faith in that cry. Because the protest itself, when you bring it to God, when you bring that feeling to God, it's an act of faith. Like, I have this sensation in this gap that God isn't real, and what I'm doing with that feeling is taking it to the God that I must believe is real. Like, I'm demonstrating, even in the sensation that I believe something deeper, that I believe he is still who he says he is, that's why I'm protesting. I have an issue with the gap because I believe what I believe about God, because I know who he is. And that's our protests. They can be this, like, beautiful act of worship that declares that we believe he is exactly who he says he is, even in the gap, even when that gap comes, no matter how big it gets, no matter how it feels, that we will bank in that protest, we are banking on that we believe he is who he says he is. And I think, you know, when I was thinking about it this week, it's like, I think we are right. I think we are right to do that. I don't think the gap means that we're wrong about God. I don't think the gap means that he's not real. I think we are right to bank on him even when it feels like we're abandoned or like David, we're forsaken. And I know that we're right because of that, because of Jesus, right? Because of Jesus, because we've got Jesus in the same situation that David's in when he's on the cross, like almost eerily so, right? He's got people dividing lots for his garments, which happens in Psalm 22. He's He's feeling poured out. He's feeling this moment of brokenness. And in that moment on the cross, someone holds this mic up to him. Basically, the universe is like, what are you going to say? Where's your God now in this huge, giant, great gap? We thought you, were, you, thought you said that God would deliver, and where is he now? Right? You've got Jesus in that moment, and he could have said anything. He could have said, the Lord is at my right hand, and I will not be shaken. He could have said, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I will fear no evil. He would have been right. Those things would have been true, but he chooses in this moment when he's searching his mind for a scripture that he can hang on to that can help him through this moment in faith, he lands on Psalm 22, verse 1 of the whole scripture. That's the verse he picks, and he calls out from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And there are commentaries upon commentaries <laughs> written about what's happening in that moment. And I'm not going to get into all of it. I'm just going to tell you that what I see in this moment is the kindness of God. Right? Because Jesus, in that moment, calling that out, he kind of sucks the sting of shame out of those moments when we cry it out. Like for that little girl in France who's coming home and just feels so embarrassed that she yelled that in the middle of the field, she has a great high priest who was God himself who called it out on a cross who, when he could say anything in the last moments of his life, he unashamedly, unapologetically, without clarification, without asterisks, without caveat, 
he calls out these same words, it pulls the shame out of it. And it pulls the fear out of it. Because the worst thing about that feeling in that field in France is not the feeling, although that's terrible. It's the fear that the feeling means God's not there. It's the fear that the feeling is there because we're wrong about God. Right? In this moment in the cross, it proves to us, it's like this final proof that whatever the gap means, no matter how big it gets, what it doesn't mean is that God has abandoned us, that he's not real, that he's not there, that the gap can exist, and, and also at the same time that God can be active and working and real and fulfilling all he says he is, right? Because this is the lar- when we look at the cross, we're looking at the largest gap that's ever been in human history, Definitely for Jesus and his life experience, right? He's eternity past. He's been with the Father. There's been no fracture oriented totally perfectly. And even in his life, he's had these moments of this human experience of disorientation. And he gets to this moment on the cross that is surely, surely the most disorienting he's ever had. And for us, when we look at human history, if we're right about who Jesus says he is, then this is the most disorienting moment in all of human history. The Son of God is being killed for the sins that he didn't commit. Like God who is justice, justice and righteousness and all these great things and, and this, this innocent man is being wrongly accused, right? And no one is stepping in. No one is getting him down. No one is helping him. No one is defending him. He's been abandoned. It's this epic gap, right? We watch the greatest gap that any human will ever endure. And at the same time, we are watching the clearest demonstration of the love and mercy and kindness and grace and loving, steadfast love of the Lord. Right, this, this moment, we put it in a symbol and we wear it around our neck as proof that God is with us, that he's for us. This gap has become to us a thing that we build our faith on. It's this amazing proof that whatever the gap means, whatever it feels like, it doesn't mean that we should be ashamed that, that we're doing something wrong as humans, and, and it doesn't mean that God isn't who he says he is, right? We can hang on to that. I think the gap is one of the most disorientant things a human can experience, but you do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with that weakness. You don't have a great high priest who is unable to understand what it feels like. You have one who's been tempted in every way like you. He's stood in the gap and he's been tempted to diminish one of these two truths. But he has held fast. He has turned to God in faith through that protest that we hear crying out on the cross. So therefore, let us draw near, right? Let us go to God with these confusing feelings, with confidence, not with shame, knowing that we will find grace and mercy to help us in time of trouble. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.